Miller for doing the call to prayer. We uh, heard that five times a day, every day. And um, thank you all for coming. This is Morocco SST, and we're going to start off with Micah here. Uh, just real quick to start off, Morocco is in the northwest corner of Africa, little green country over here, about the size of California, and about the population too. So that's kind of how you can think of it demographically. Um, interesting enough, even though Morocco is inside of Africa, it's much more of an Arab or even a European nation than, than you would typically think of an African one. Um, many Moroccans are descended from na the native Tamazic people, called the Berbers by the Romans, but the Tamazic people, and still pe speak Tamazic in their homes. Um, in the 700s, you saw the Arabs and um, the, the Muslim Arabs come in from the east, um, kind of push across through the Arabian Peninsula through North Africa to Morocco and gave Morocco its name, El Maghrib, which means the West. And so Morocco in many ways is a very Arab country and thinks of itself as within kind of the Arab world. And uh, then finally, in the early uh, 19th, 20th century, you had a 40-year French protectorate. And so it's not uncommon for you to see uh, Moroccans speaking Tamazic in their homes speaking Arabic at the, at the mosque or in schools, and reading French newspapers and surfing the web in, in, uh, in French. So there's a lot of diversity that you see in Morocco. And uh, Morocco is a parliamentary monarchy, which means that there's uh, two houses of parliament, and one of them is popularly elected by the people. But the king is still in charge over pretty much everything. And he sort of... Uh, inviolable in that he is considered a, a direct descendant of Muhammad. So he's sort of a religious as well as political power in the country. Uh, Michael's going to give us a little talk on language in uh, Morocco. Hello, I'm Michael Miller. And uh, On service, I was, uh, I was chopping wood with this guy. He was like 30 years old or so, indigenous guy. And I, we started talking about language. And uh, he looked around and he named about everything he saw in three or four different languages and dialects. It's just incredible in this little town. You see, Moroccans uh, speak three languages, Moroccan Arabic, French, and dialects of Tamazight, uh, the indigenous language. 
Um, and we knew uh, none of them coming in, really. Uh, we had learned modern standard Arabic, uh, which is what Mar Moroccans read and write, but not what they speak. If you, if you uh, speak it to people, they look at you funny. It's, it's as if someone would come here speaking uh, Shakespeare's English. Uh, but what, what most Moroccans uh, spoke first with us was actually French. Uh, French was brought with the French colonizers to Morocco, and they expected any European-looking people to speak French, which to them is a language of prestige, wealth, and education. But they would usually warm up to us when we spoke Moroccan Arabic to them, which is a sort of a homespun mix of standard Arabic, French loan words, and indigenous Tamazigh uh, pronunciations. Um, it really models the openness and diversity of Moroccan culture. Uh, many of us heard this Tamazigh in the mountains on service. Uh, it varied even between neighborhoods in the town I was in. Uh, a writing system was just formalized in 2004 for Tamazigh, and you can see that next to the Arabic, there, there's first Arabic on top of that school sign, and then Tamazigh underneath it, and then you can't see it, but on the, on the blue walls there's French, so you can see even in a small town school, uh, those three languages. Hello, I'm Vanessa, or if we're doing our Moroccan names, I was Farasha in Morocco. Um, and here's just a little introduction to our study time. Um, our group leaders were Paul and Julie Keim. Many of you probably know Paul. He's a religion and Bible professor here at Goshen College. And I have a picture. Well, I guess I have to do it. Yeah. And their son, Ian, also joined us. I think he's still 14 years old. And yeah, they were great, great group leaders. We spent a lot of time at their home at Dark Ocean. It was kind of our hangout place, and then also our cookie baking place and our internet place, um, et cetera. And our local leader was named Fuad, and Fuad, um, we meshed extremely well. Our group really loved Fuad, and we got along with him right away. And Fuad was kind of the person we called on for everything. Um, when you're lost hiking in the mountains, and you're out of water, and you don't have any food, you call Fuad. And when you're trying to order pizza on a Saturday night, and your French isn't working, and your Moroccan Arabic isn't working, and nothing is working, you call Fuad. So um, Fuad was definitely our go-to person. Um, this was as close as this group got to Egypt. We all signed up to go to Egypt, but uh, the bitter irony was we only got to go to Pyramid High School, which was the name of the high school that we studied at. <laughs> and there's a picture, it's a little dark, but that's a picture of our classroom. Um, we lived in Meknes, the first half um, population, 750,000, and we went to class every morning, pretty typical SST setup. So Kate, I think, is next. My name is Kate Friesen, and in Morocco, everyone called me Sarah. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about culture, uh, cover three aspects. The first being food. Um, Moroccan food is delicious. Um, you have about four to six meals a day, so it's a good thing the food is delicious. Um, but on average, we had about four, breakfast, lunch, and cuscaro, um, sometime in the late afternoon, which I have a picture of right up there. And then supper anytime from 8 o'clock to sometimes my family would eat it about 12 or 1 in the morning. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about cuscaro because we don't do that in America. Um, but you often have tea and you'll see lots of different flatbreads up there. Um, olives, which is a really important food. You'd always have olive oil. Um, so it was pretty delicious. Also, every Friday, the whole country has couscous for lunch. Um, so couscous is a really fine pasta, and then um, you have a big platter and lots of vegetables and meat in the middle. Um, 
It's really delicious and you either eat it with a spoon or your hands. Several of us tried to eat it with our hands, kind of like the locals did, didn't work out so well. Um, also, normal meals would be a tagine, which is like um, stewed meat with vegetables and lots of good spices. Um, another part of culture was hammams, which uh, would be the public bath, which we also don't have in America. And I don't have any pictures, um, but <laughs> the, the, we went at least twice, all of us. I think when we were first together, we went, all the girls went and all the guys went. And for all the girls, we had a really good time. A local student took us and we sang and it was really great and we got to see everybody. And um, you do strip all the way down if you're a girl, but lo and behold, in the guy's mom, you don't, and no one told them that, so I heard there were some <laughs> little awkward experiences there, but you know, you learn pretty quickly these things. Um, so that was kind of our first experience, and it was kind of funny because it was a bunch of us all there, and the locals kind of knew, like, we weren't from Morocco. But the second time um, I went, it was just my host sister and I, and it was when I was on service. And it was also really obvious that I wasn't from Morocco. Um, but it was such a neat environment. These women were, like, toweling off my hair and bathing me, and that's just something you don't experience here. Um, so then another aspect of culture that uh, some of us, several of us experienced was uh, Moroccan weddings, which is a huge deal. Um, this is a picture from the first wedding that I went to. That's my host sister and the couple in the middle and then myself. Um, the second wedding that I went to on service, uh, we got all dressed up around 7 o'clock and around 9 o'clock in the evening we went uh, my host sister and I walked over and I asked my host sister, who's the bride? And she said, oh, I don't know, but we're going. Um, so I was like, oh, okay. But it's a community event and the weddings are celebrations for the whole neighborhood. Um, so you pretty much dance and eat all night long, but I literally mean all night long. We didn't leave till seven the next morning. Um, and the couple just kind of sits on this couch and they watch the whole celebration. But the woman, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's all they do. But the woman um, does change, actually both couples change clothes. So she changes her outfit about seven times and each kaftan, which is the traditional gown that actually all of the women there are wearing, um, has different colors and is more elaborate than the next. So yeah, that's a little bit of some of the culture that we all experienced. My name's Stuart, or Kareem. And I'm Austin, or Sufyan. <laughs> yeah, the families gave us those names because they couldn't pronounce our American names very well. <laughs> but um, we're talking about free time a little bit in McNess. Uh, we had quite a bit. Um, in between school and study and our lectures, we would have about two hours to go around the city in McNess for lunch. So that was some of the more fun times being able to be with all of our classmates and run around the city. Um, new experiences, different restaurants, getting ripped off and all these other things that, <laughs> good experiences on SST. But um, after school, we'd get done at about four o'clock, um, either walk home or take the taxi. Um, and me and Austin would like to switch off sitting in the front with the taxi because the taxi driver would always want to talk to the person in the front. And some of us didn't feel like we wanted to speak Arabic all the time, just coming from school. <laughs> But um, we, we played soccer with our host family a lot. Um, some of the other students had host brothers and sisters that would come out and play. Um, 
other times me and Austin would go out and go to a cyber cafe, mess around, maybe play some games. But <laughs> and then at home, there was a lot of free time at the house. Um, sometimes it was hard to know what to do, but when that time came, you had our Game Boy, so. Yeah, we also spent a lot of time going to cafes, which is a pretty big deal in Morocco. There's, on service, I lived in like a town of 7,000, and we still had six or seven cafes in town. And in McNess, there were way more. And the strange thing about the cafe culture is it's, it's primarily men, and so they all set up chairs outside of the cafe, just in a straight line, just looking out. So you, everywhere you walk, you go by just crowds of guys just watching people walk down the street. <laughs> so we got a lot of stares and funny looks going around. My name is Liz, and in Morocco they called me Nora. And I'm going to be talking about our trip to Fez. Um, which was one of the first trips that we took as a class on study. Um, and at that point, we were still feeling pretty touristy. Um, and it didn't help that we had a tour guide on this trip. So he was taking us around to all the wonderful sites that Fez has to offer. Um, one of those places was an old Spanish fort that um, was, was just huge and overlooking the entire city up on a hill. Um, and then... At another point, we went to go down to the, um, one of the king's palaces, um, which was great and very intricate and big. Um, and then we also got a chance to visit the old Medina. And Medina in Arabic means city. Um, oh, clicker. We're almost there. This is McNess. <laughs> There's a picture. OK, so this is the view overlooking from the fort. Um, and this is in the Medina. So this is the old city. And um, all of the roads range from about a foot and a half wide to about five feet wide, but it doesn't get much more wide than that. Um, so you have hundreds of people walking down this, these streets trying to get through. You have people pushing carts. You have donkeys pushing carts. Um, and, and they're all saying, andak, andak, which in Arabic means be careful. Um, so you really got to watch your step going through these uh, these little streets. Um, we also, we got to visit uh, a traditional weaving place and try on the headscarves, one of which uh, Rachel's modeling today. Um, and, and lastly, we also visit, visited the, the famous tannery in Fez. And um, that's where they dye leather. And they make uh, camel and cow uh, hides into beautiful purses. But when we arrived, we were handed um, little bushels of, of fresh mint and told that they would come in handy at our visit. Uh, we later found out that's because the smell of the chemicals is so strong. Um, most of the chemicals, the natural product they use is bird poop, so that's probably why it smelled so bad. Um, yeah, but that was our first trip there to um, Fez. All right, I am Joseph. Uh... The next trip we went to was Merzuga. We all remember it really well. Um, it's a place outside the Sahara Desert. Um, so that's actually before we get there even. Um, there's the desert. So we all had a couple hour camel ride into the desert. Really cool that we all can say we rode camels. But they're honestly really uncomfortable and I wouldn't recommend it. Um, 
Yeah, so a couple hour camel ride. We stayed the night in a desert uh, in tents. They had some traditional uh, Tamazit music um, and food that we uh, listened and some dance to. Um, yeah, so uh, not a lot to say, but it's just very beautiful and a, a nice time. So. My name is Suzanne King, um, but in Morocco I went by Amel. And I'm John Miller, and I was called Jamil. Um, and this is Azru, the top image, and Ben Samim. Um, we took a group trip there. Uh, it's in the middle atlas, which is actually about the, the climate of probably Colorado, about the same foliage, too. And then Suzanne and I stayed at Ben Samim for our service. Um, one thing that was really cool about uh, our trip to Azru and specifically to the Atlas Mountains, um, was that we actually got to see and interact with monkeys because monkeys are native to the Atlas Mountains. They live in the forest and it's just like, the forest is these big cedar trees and so it actually looks a lot like the forests here, um, especially like John was saying in Colorado. But um, these monkeys, they're actually apes. They're called Barbary apes and they're like this tall when they're full grown. And they're really cool. Um, you can go up there and just people just kind of like walk around and feed them and stuff, and they'll come right up to you. And we actually brought bread and apples, and they would just come up and like take it out of our hands. Uh, but they're kind of funny because I like you would try to give them bread, and sometimes they did not want the bread, and they would just like steal the apples out of your hand. And then they would like fight over it and run up and down the trees and fall out, and it was really fun. <laughs> All right, and then we had service in Ben Samim, which was a small farming town um, up in, not the highest part in the mountains, but pretty close. Um, and it was about a 10-minute drive from Azru, which we frequently went to um, for internet and other, uh, for cafes and such. Um, we are actually some of the people that got to work for a, a service, and I worked on a website, and Suzanne worked at an NGO for an herbal society. Hi, I'm Claire Maxwell, but in Morocco, I was mostly known as Isa. Um, in Morocco, uh, 99, over 99% of Moroccans are Muslim. All of the host families we stayed with were Muslim. All of the students we talked to were Muslim. Um, and that got reflected back in some of the most common words that we used. We learned words like bismillah, which means in the name of God, which you say right before you eat um, or take a shower, things like that. We learned um, inshallah, which means if God wills it. So, you know, are you going to do something? Oh, inshallah, inshallah. Um, and um, alhamdulillah, which means praise God, you know. So if somebody asks you in the morning, how are you? You say, oh, alhamdulillah, praise God, I'm good. Um, and so one of the most interesting experiences we had with our host families was on the last weekend of study, we all got to celebrate Eid al-Adha, which means um, the Feast of Sacrifice. And most of you are probably familiar with the story where Abraham um, is going to sacrifice his son and at the last minute God provides a ram. And uh, there's the same story in Islam, only instead of Ibrahim sacrificing his son Isaac, he's about to sacrifice his son Ishmael. <clears throat> and at the last minute God provides a ram for sacrifice instead. And so this holiday, is the celebration of um, Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son and God's generosity of providing a ram at the last minute. And how it's celebrated is every family slaughters a ram. 
And so that is uh, my host dad and uncle and my host sister about to slaughter our ram. Um, we decided not to show you a picture of like the actual slaughter. So this is like a preview to it. Um, so that's what you do all day. You kill a ram and then you uh, skin it and butcher it and you eat all of the everything. You eat um, head and hoof and heart and stomach and liver. And so I was a little bit nervous beforehand. I had never been there for a sheep slaughter. Um, I had never eaten sheep hoof or sheep stomach before or any kind of stomach. Um, <laughs> which actually stomach is surprisingly good. I didn't think I'd ever say that, but I did kind of like it. Um, they had it in a nice stew. Um, but it was really, really special for all of us to be able to spend a holiday with our host families, um, especially right before we left. And so I got to go back to the village of Bensameem where my host family was originally from. Um, I met a, a plethora of aunts and uncles and cousins. Um, we spent the whole day, we spent a lot of the day visiting other families who would then, you know, feed us more um, liver or heart or something like that. Um, but it was a really, really special experience to be a part of and to experience, and to, to see what a holiday is like in another place. Hello everyone, my name is Rachel, but everyone in Morocco called me Rashida. Um, I'm going to start off by talking about, um, I'm gonna start off the convo, and the rest of us are gonna talk about our service experiences. Um, being a history major, I was very lucky to have an assignment that was at an ancient Roman city preservation, and it's called Volubilis, and right there. Um, and the smaller picture you see on the bottom left is the town that I lived in, and it's called Mule Idris Zarhon. And that is about a five kilometer drive um, in between. And I would spend every day at Volubilis um, with my host father, because he actually worked there. And I basically job shadowed him. Um, I followed him everywhere and um, was basically his assistant. Um, and the things that I did, um, I had a list of things. I, I always had a job every day. Um, and I did a lot of uh, floor mosaic restoration. Um, if you've ever seen pictures of um, Roman mosaics, they're pretty elaborate and beautiful, but they are outside in the open and they crack and there's a lot of damage. So. I learned how to make cement out of sand, chalk, and water, and you mix it together and you put the tiles back in the floor and voila, it's fixed. Um, and this place uh, receives hundreds of tourists every day, so we have to make sure that the place is beautiful and running and yeah, here's more pictures right here. I think this is a picture of a, the old church. There's um, three religions that were um, in Volubilis, the pagan religion of the Roman gods, Christianity, and Islam. And this is me doing some restoration. This is pre-restoration. I'm um, drawing a picture of the damage right there. Um, other jobs I had was I got to uh, sort out and handle all the artifacts that would be on display in the new, in the new museum. Um, Yep, my host father is there, and another American student, and I. And um, 
The last job I got to do was restore, or um, not restore, revise a document that would be on display in the museum. So that is actually my first publication. And uh, yeah, there was a lot of really good experiences at Volubilis and all of you history majors, go to Morocco for SST, you will not regret it. <laughs> everyone. Good morning. I'm Lauren, but in Morocco I went by Lada, so it wasn't that different. Um, and I got the privilege of living in the most rural village for service. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> um, it was called Ait Hamza, and it was, I think there were about 50 people that lived there, literally. It was so tiny. Um, everybody lived in mud huts, such as those. And this was my living room. Um, so, I want to tell you guys a little story about how I became better connected with my community over service. Um, one day, I was out on the farm with my host family. Uh, they had corn, and um, I was watching the two-year-old son of a couple that was helping us harvest. And his name was Yosef, so cute. Um, yeah, I was watching him, and then all of a sudden, I hear this rumbling coming from like the side. And I look up, and there's this ginormous black bull running at us, straight for us, straight for Yosef and I. Um, and I was teaching him patty cake, so we were sitting on the ground. So immediately, I jump up, I scoop him up, I just start like sprinting the other way. Um, I really didn't know what to do. But of course, like looking back, that probably wasn't the smartest thing, because um, then the bull started chasing us. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. Um, and then I'm like yelling and screaming, so my host mom, my host sisters hear this, the couple hears this. They come running, um, and they somehow corral the bull, um, distract him. I go hide behind some corn with <laughs> Yosef still in my arms, and I'm like shaking and everything. Um, and then they stopped the bull, they got him tethered again, and everything was fine. And they, of course, like thanked me profusely, even though I'm pretty sure I endangered us by running, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they thanked me. and. Uh, then after that, uh, when I saw people in the community that I hadn't really been introduced to before, um, they would say like, oh, I heard you did this great thing, I heard you saved Yusuf, and uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so I was just like, yeah, yeah, I saved him, great, yes. Um, <laughs> and so it sparked a lot of conversations that I probably wouldn't have had otherwise, um, just because I wouldn't have wanted to try and like use my language out on somebody that I didn't know, or you know, I just wouldn't have made that contact with them. So um, it kind of helped my language skills. Everybody there spoke Tamazi, um, which I really didn't know any of. So I learned a little bit through that. But um, yeah, that was a big experience for me. And that was our farmland after we had harvested the corn. It was very beautiful. Hi, I'm uh, Mustafa, and if you want to call me that too, that's, that's fine. Um, over service, we were in the rural village of Tezuta, up in the, up in the rural uh, village um, in the Atlas Mountains. So it's pretty chilly. Again, like John said, kind of like Colorado, something we weren't really prepared for. Um, when uh, Isa and I weren't um, just uh, talking with our host families, we had two different service projects. Uh, she was generally going around the town, around the in the rural kind of countryside and collecting herbs, categorizing them, like looking for medicinal purposes and stuff like that. Um, I was actually using a, 
old Goshen College laptop to try to design a website for Tizu to, to generate some tourism. And this was supposed to be in three languages and, and all that good stuff. So it was, it was an interesting project, to say the least. It took a lot of time. It's not quite done, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was a very good thing, and I, I think it will be soon. Yeah. Um, so shortly after we got to Tizuta, we realized we were kind of weirdos there. Um, we dressed funny, we didn't speak Arabic very well, and we had really stupid accents. Um, people would generally assume, like, if we went out, like, to, you know, the store or something, they would assume that we were married, and it was really complicated telling people that, no, we're not married, no, we're not related, you know, um, we're just traveling together. Um, <laughs> so anyways, so all this weird stuff, um, and as a woman, you know, I didn't know how to make any Moroccan dishes, I couldn't wash clothes by hand, all the stuff that a 21-year-old Moroccan woman would be able to know how to do. And so I think for a while our host family wasn't always sure what to do with these, you know, these weird Americans, you know, where did we, where did we kind of fit in the general order of things? Um, and one of the things I noticed, um, those are pictures of us with our host family. The one up top is the day we arrived with our host father and uncle. And the one at the bottom is the day we left with our grandfather, father, grandmother, mother, and aunt. Um, mm -hmm. And all of the women in the house, all of the women in the village would wear uh, headscarves whenever they were around the house. And usually when they go out, they would dress like this. This is um, a pretty simple version of a jalaba, which women wear. Um, some of the guys, Joe's wearing the guy's jalaba. And they would wear a hijab as well. And so the first Saturday we were there, I went to the market and I bought a handkerchief and I tied Don, the, the style that my host mom would wear around the house, and she was really, really happy about that. She really liked it. Um, everyone in the house was telling me, oh, that's awesome, that's great, that's beautiful. Uh, and so I started wearing that around the house. Um, and a few days later, we went to, on a trip to Sefru, which was... Um, the largest city that we could get to very easily, and we decided to buy some jalabas. Um, I guess that happened over a course of two different trips. But we started wearing um, our jalabas when we would go out. Um, and so that was maybe not a big step. Oh, and I would wear my hijab when I went out of the house um, for any significant reason. Um, and I think that was a big step in making us seem a little bit more normal to our host family, to be, um, <clears throat> to kind of give a sign that we were trying to fit in and not, um, you know, there's not much, there's, you can't learn everything or fit in too well on your, you know, six weeks of service, or in our case, four and a half weeks of service. Um, but that was just one little step that we tried to do to make ourselves a little bit less weird. All right, well, um, Austin and I were in service in the Atlas Mountains um, in the Middle Atlas region, and um, unfortunately, our service assignments didn't really work out the way they were intended. Um, and our professor told us to focus on um, being more than doing. So, <laughs> so we did, and, and I think um, one of the things we got out of that was being able to meet a lot of people um, and some of the people that we met were a group of young college students about our age um, who were home for break over Eid, like we would be over Christmas break. And um, they took us on a hike up the mountains. 
Um, and so when we left the house at about 9 o'clock in the morning, both of us had like a water bottle and a backpack and just like a zip-up sweatshirt or something. But we got to these guys in the middle of the road, and they had these giant backpacks full of um, kitchen supplies, such as a full a set of glasses, a tagine, half a chicken, vegetables, um, liters of soda <laughs> and, and whatnot. Um, so we found out we were going to have a full-on feast in, um, on the top of a mountain in a cave. So um, it was really windy, and about uh, two hours after we started hiking, we, we found our way to this little hole um, where we started preparing the vegetables to get away from the wind. Um, and um, I mean, it was... It was so wonderful because we had about a four-course meal, including salad, tagine, lamb kebabs, soda, and tea um, in this cave. So I think we maybe have a picture. That's the cave we were in. This is the fire up there that we built to cook the lamb kebabs and the tagine and the tea in. Um, and, and that's the meal after we ate it. We were really hungry <laughs> after that hike. So um, I think for me the greatest part of this experience was um, just meeting people our age and getting to know them on, um, on a different level and really becoming friends um, with some people despite the language barriers that we had. Yeah, and uh, when you don't have a service assignment, you sort of get into some strange stuff sometimes, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> getting coerced to marry your service partner. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> Me and Liz, we didn't really know what we were getting into. They said, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna like have a marriage for you guys." And we're like, "But we're not like we're not married or getting married." And they're like, "No, it doesn't it doesn't matter." So we thought, <laughs> so we thought they'll make us a bunch of food and then we'll have a party or whatever. But instead, they just brought us over to some people's houses, dressed us up, took a ton of pictures in this place, and then that was it. Nothing else. <laughs> they just wanted to dress us up and take pictures, and then. They, uh, here's some more pictures. <laughs> and then they, they took me next door to a little convenience store and had me take some pictures in front of that for inexplicable reasons. <laughs> so, yeah. get a service assignment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, that concludes our storytelling time. Um, thank you all for coming. We do still have a video um, that um, Sam Jones made to wrap up our experience. It's, um, it's about seven minutes long, and it's really great. Um, so, and there's some really wonderful Moroccan music to go along with it as well. So please um, join us and watch this video. Thank you all for coming. Masalama.
ناس 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 ما يريخ ما يريخ ما يريخ هذا سيخي الزمن هذا سيخي الزمن ونور يوفين ونور يوفين ونور يوفين ونور يوفين Ordeis nakas, ordeis nakas.